Thanks for listening to the Calvary Baptist Church Podcast. For more information, check us out at cbctaylorville.com. Join us now as Pastor Steve delivers this week's message. Well, good morning. Great to see you here at uh, Calvary. I'm very excited to be together with you this morning, whether we're in person. It's good to see your faces here today. Uh, or you're joining with us online, thank you for taking this time, being a part of our worship experience this morning. And I guess it would be Merry Sunday before Christmas. I guess that's a way we could say it today. And so I'm glad that uh, we've all chosen to be together for this. Let me share something that's going to happen this week for us at Calvary. Uh, of course, Thursday night is Christmas Eve. And uh, we, all, we often have a Christmas Eve uh, celebration. And this, this year, our Christmas Eve celebration is going to be at home with your families. And we prepared a, uh, many of the same things that we do with music as well as a message and, and many of the elements, the kids' story, all that kind of stuff. And you'll be able to, to join with us on uh, Thursday evening. The premiere is at 5.30. And then obviously you can watch it uh, beyond that as, as well. But I hope that you'll join, gather your family around. I'll be home for Christmas is what we're talking about. And in fact, uh, there's a bag in the back as you leave here today. Uh, if you'd like to pick one up, and inside are some things to use for that night, including candles and some instructions and a, a birthday cake, which you'll, you'll be able to experience as you go through that evening. Um, if you are watching online or you're not able to pick it up today, you can come either uh, Monday through Wednesday of this week and come to the office from 9 to 5, and we'll be glad to get you a bag and get enough candles for you and your family. So I hope that you'll take part in that, uh, and, and just we're going to enjoy this time together. So I hope that that's something that you'll be able to join with us. And we've been talking, obviously, about rediscovering Christmas. So to do that today, let me begin. Uh, it's a parable that I, I read this week, and I want to share it with you. Uh, the story goes that there was two old farmers... Uh, they were neighbors. They actually had been friends for a long time, but something had happened in the last uh, several years. There was a feud that had broke up between the two. Um, in fact, they hadn't spoken to each other for some time. And come to find out, the feud was actually over a stray cat. Now, the, the cat had kind of had come to both doors of the farmers, and, and over the time, they would feed the cat. And so one claimed that he owned the cat, the other claimed he owned the cat, and before long, the feud was on, Right? And in fact, the feud got to be so bad at some point that there used to be a beautiful meadow between the two farms. The one farmer took a bulldozer, went to the, the river levee, and, and dug a ditch, and so that now there's a creek that separates the two farms and the two farmers. There was a carpenter that came by one day and asked, hey, is there any work that you'd have for me? And the one farmer said, well, yeah, there is. See that creek out there? He said, I know my neighbor dug that creek in spite of me. So I, I've got some wood out in the, in the garage or out in the barn. I want you to take that wood and build me a fence. I mean a tall fence so I don't ever have to look at his place again. I don't have to see his face again and separate that. And the carpenter said, well, I think I can do what you need, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to need some more supplies. So if you'll go to town and get that, I'll get started. So the farmer took off, took his truck, went into town, pick up supplies. Carpenter gets to work. And by the time the farmer gets back that afternoon, the carpenter's just about done. But to the farmer's dismay... When he looks, there's not a fence. The carpenter has built a bridge across the creek. As the farmer gets out, he's going to talk to the carpenter. The, he, he sees that his neighbor friend is now coming across that bridge, kind of a sheepish grin on his face and his hand out, outstretched. And before he knows what happens, he, he comes to his friend. He said, I, I'm, you're a much bigger man than me. How could, after all I've done, you choose to forgive me and, and to, to do this? And he, the other man stuck out his hand in instinct, and he said, Oh, I knew it was your cat anyway. 
Here's the point. There's a song, Dave Wilcox, he's a folk singer. He, he wrote about that parable, a song called Fearless Love. And in that song, there's a, there's a line that he repeats over and over in the chorus, and it says this, Fearless love makes you cross the borders. Fearless love is a great concept if you think about it. And when we talk about the love of Jesus Christ, that would be easily defined as fearless love. And I don't mean just love that has an absence of fear. I'm talking about a love that overcomes, it defies fear. That's the love we're going to talk about Jesus today, but I want, what I want us to understand is before this is over is that is the kind of love that he has called us as his people and actually made us capable to also share is that kind of love for others. So as we jump into this, this uh, last in our series, we're talking about this rediscovering Christmas. What we're talking about Christmas in the, the word Advent is the word that we've used, which is arrival or coming. And it, it always has with it the anticipation, you know, that, that uh, expectation. And that fits Christmas really well, right? I mean, you're anticipating, especially as a kid. You just can't wait for it to, to, to happen, to come. And, and the idea that we know Advent is we, we look back at what the Old Testament had been prophesying and we celebrate with those in that first century. This, the king came, the Messiah has arrived, and we celebrate. But we also know that the king is coming again. We know that we're still anticipating the fact that Jesus is still working and he's still got a, a, a job that he is doing in and around us. So with that in mind, there's four words that go along with this idea of of Advent, it's the there are four attributes of God that are lived out in the coming and the life of Jesus. And just to remind you, we've looked at words like hope and peace and joy. And today, the word that we're talking about is the word love. But this is how we're going to look at it today. We're talking about finding love in our differences. Now, as we, as we kind of jump into that idea and we look at what that love looks like from the perspective of Jesus, each week now we've, we've kind of focused on either an individual, a person, or maybe a couple of people at a time and how their lives kind of intersected their role in, the, in the, how Jesus came and his arrival. I want to do a little bit different today. I want to kind of take the whole cast of characters, if you would, that God had, had placed in this story that we've read, and, and they all had a role, but I want to kind of see them as a, as a total group and look just how different each one of these, these were within this, the diversity that was in the, this group. Think with me. If we go chronologically, we were introduced to uh, Zachariah and Elizabeth, then would have come Mary and Joseph, uh, then, of course, there's the shepherds as they encounter the angels, uh, then we, we also looked at uh, a, a couple, Simeon and Anna, who soon after Jesus' birth, and they were all part of this, this coming. But there's one group that we haven't talked much about that we're in, is introduced in Matthew chapter number 2. Let me, just in case you're familiar, uh, verse number 1 says this, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. All right, so you're familiar with the, the kings, the, the wise men, the magi, however you have them referred to. Who is this mysterious group of travelers? The answer is, we really don't know. The Bible doesn't give us a lot of details. I mean, we have a song, right, that kind of tells it. We three kings of Orient are. <laughs> Here, the sad thing is that's, that title's probably all wrong. We don't know if there were three kings or ten kings. We're not sure. They probably weren't kings anyway, based off of their name. And uh, 
Chances are they weren't even from the Orient. So I know I've just blown your Christmas all, all apart. I, I get all that. Even to take a little bit further, uh, when, the, when the wise men or the magi came, they didn't probably see the baby Jesus. They saw a toddler Jesus. He would have, they, saw, they met him in a house, right? And uh, so now you guys, Christmas is over for some of you. you just, it's all ruined, right? It, so what do we know about these guys? Well, there's a few things. The, the word magi, the, the word that's used there, has some kind of a, it's a religious kind of a spiritual overtone. There was something, that a, a mystical idea somewhere where they came from. We know they had a fascination with the stars, so most would assume that they were probably astrologers because that would go with their name as well. We know they traveled a long distance, and we know they had some kind of nobility. They were, they were wealthy when you just look at, their, at the, uh, the gifts that they brought. But we know that, that they did come a long way in this journey to worship. It, use our term that we've talked about, crossing borders. These magi literally crossed a lot of borders. Even regardless of where they started from, there's a lot of physical boundaries, physical borders they had to cross to come to, to, to the Jesus, to see him. But I think perhaps the biggest thing about this group is they were Gentiles. All the others that we've talked about were part of, of the Jewish race. They were, they were Gentiles. That, that kind of adds a whole new wrinkle. Think with me now. that We've, we've kind of looked at all the characters that, that God has shown in the arrival. Think with what we're talking about, the difference between, you know, Elizabeth and, and Mary and Joseph and the shepherds and, and now these wise men. Think what we have. We've been presented with the old and the young. We've got the rich and we've got some very poor. Uh, we've got the, some influential and noble and we've got some that people didn't really know too much about. We've got some who have, have their, their lives meant something to others, it seemed, and some just seem to be kind of marginalized, right? And now, adding these magi, we have Jews and we have Gentiles. May not mean a lot to us, but at this time, this was huge. I think one of the things that this says to us, that right off the bat, that God is through his, the birth of his son, is setting a precedent. And that is that, all, it, that God's message of salvation, this truth of what Jesus brings, is for all people across all lines. And we're going to see how that works out. That God has done something. You know, it may seem unusual for us, this kind of this, uh, menagerie of people, but it would have been almost blasphemous for the people that were living in this time. I mean, the, the humility of those shepherds and, and a peasant teenage girl, and then the Gentiles showing up, all of this would have, they, they, no way this would have been the entrance of the king in, in, in speaking in most people. But what we know is this starts something here. The life of Jesus begins with this understanding of this universality of what God wants to say to the world. That is, this is for all the world. This is a salvation that crosses all borders. That's the love we're going to look at today. But it also, I believe, helps us to know what kind of love God wants us to exhibit, the kind of love that he wants us to share with others. The Bible literally talks a lot about love. If you haven't read it, it the word love is, is often used. But here's one thing I think is appropriate to say. This is actually a love letter from God himself. I mean, from, from beginning to end, from the very beginnings of creation, we know that God had had made mankind in his image, so that set it, set it apart. But he'd made him not only his image, but made them with the ability of companionship with God. And they, they existed in the garden with God. They took that walk in the evening with God. There was that, that relationship. 
But soon in this, in this story, the sin comes in and rebellion against God, and it not only brings brokenness and death, but ultimately brings a separation from God. They're no longer able to have this, this relationship, and that's the, the fate of mankind, and, but God doesn't stop there. He immediately shows that he has a work in process. He's working on something that ultimately there would be a Messiah that would come, and this Messiah would then enable the human race to have a relationship with God again, the way of its original design. So when you see Jesus coming as a, as a baby, what you're seeing is the fulfillment of God's love story. Of, of his bringing humanity back into a possible relationship, and, and it's written to each of us. It's, it's, it's big, but it's personal, the way that God wants us to have that personal relationship with him of love. So this morning, I, I want to take get off from the story of Christmas itself, from the entrance, and I want to just look at that love and how God describes this kind of love. So we're going to be, if you have your Bibles or electronic devices, we're going to be in 1 John. Uh, for the most part, 1 John chapter number 4, it's close to the end of your scriptures. And I want you to see this description of God and how God in, it talks about his love. And so what this, this initial love it looks like. And there's one key phrase. We find it twice in this passage, verse 8 and verse 16. It's three little words that I, I, my guess is you've heard them before. And that is simply this, God is love. Would you say that with me? Hear yourself. God is love. Again, not unfamiliar. I'm sure you've heard that. But that little phrase, at that point, it, it, becomes, it becomes kind of a hub. In verse number 8, from there, it kind, of, it kind of blossoms into two different ideas of what God being love, what that means to, to us in, in this world, in this life. Let me show you what I mean. Verse number 9 is where we're going to start. But it begins, verse number 8, actually it ends with that phrase, God is love. Then verse number nine goes like this. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. God is love. Now he shows his love. Now go on to verse 10. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. And if you drop down to verse 14, he says this, the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Go back to that original verse, and here's what we see. God is love, so God showed us his love. God didn't just say, I am love, or I'm loving, or I do loving things. He said, I am love, and I'm going to prove it. I'm going to exhibit. I'm going to demonstrate it. I'm going to show it. And he did. God showed us his love, but did you notice how he did it? Three times in the passage that we read, he, he says the same phrase. He showed us his love when he sent his son. Three times that's repeated. He sent his son, his one and only son in one of the verses. He sent his son, and that became the ultimate forever proof that God is love, and he's showing it. In fact, he gives some very strong purposes. Did you hear those? He sent his son um, so that we could live through him, so you can have life. Without him, you, you don't have life. He, he is, so he sent his son so that we could live now and forever. The second time he said he sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. So he sent his son as a, to, to die for us, to, to actually take our place, to, in our place to die for 
our sins, what we have done wrong, the thing that separates, he sent his son is that sacrifice. And then finally, he said to be the savior of the world, not just to, say, to, to forgive our sins, but to actually save us, to deliver us, to set us free. All of these things God did when he sent us his son. But what that does is that becomes the ultimate proof that God is love, that God loves you. Have you ever had that, that moment or heard someone say, I wonder if God really loves me or in a, in a particular situation, where is God's love? Does God really? The proof is right here. To ever think that God doesn't love me, he says, I, I have proven it once and for all because I sent you my son. I, and kind of takes us back to the famous verse of the Bible, right? John three sixteen. for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. You want to know what love is? He said, I proved it once and for all that I love you because I sent you my son. So when we come to this whole idea when the angel talks about the, to, the, to the shepherds and he says that there's going to be a baby born to you, he will be the Savior, Messiah and Lord. The entrance of the baby into this world was a gift of God's love to us. This was God proving, showing his love. And it gets even actually better than that. Romans chapter 5 says that when God showed his love, he did it this way. God demonstrates, that's another word for show, obviously, his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That whole sacrifice of his son for us, he did that... He didn't say, you know, I'm sending him if you earned it or you deserved it or if you're living a good enough life or if you change everything, and I'll I'll look, I'll I'll give you a a thought. He gave us, us his son when we were sinners in our place as we are. We come to God as we are, and he loves us too much to let us stay that way, but we come as we are as sinners. That's how he sent his son. That's how God showed us his love. He died for our sins. So, so what do we see about Christ and his love? And, and even we're talking about loving in the differences. How do we see that in, in this description? Let me give you a couple of thoughts. Here's what I know. First of all, Christ's love or in Christ, God's love. First of all, it came to us. This is really important to understand. I've heard people say that I found God, right? At, at some point in their life. And, and I understand their, their, their emotion behind that. But the truth is, if you know God, you didn't find him. You couldn't find him. He came looking for you. If you, if you found God, it's because he came to your door and said, hello, I'm here. I want it. He comes looking for us because we don't have the ability. We don't have the desire, the Bible says, to even, to even pursue him. The fact is that God came to us, and that becomes the picture of Christmas, that God comes to us because we couldn't go, we couldn't get to him on our own. He had to come to us. He initiated the relationship. He took the first step in knowing you. He loved you, and he loved you as you are. He takes that initial step. So when you think about our our term we started with, crossing the borders, can you think of any better picture of crossing the borders than what Jesus did? We're talking about crossing borders. We're not just talking crossing across from one country. We're coming from his glory in heaven to where he, beside the, beside the Father, to this world to be one of us. That's crossing borders. Like, but he had to. He had to come to us so that we could ultimately come to the Father. Let, let me, uh, John chapter 1, the, God, the, the writer is introducing Jesus. He will actually use his name at, at some point in this chapter, but he uses a term for him. In the beginning, he says, was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word, tell me, was God. 
Okay, so we know Jesus being the one he's introducing. He is referred to as the Word. But now you got into verse 14, and it just gets all exciting. Verse 14, the Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. God came to us. God put skin on to come into our world, to understand, to, to, to be able to, for us to know he can relate. He's felt, he's been here, but he's still all God. It was God come into this world for us. So when Joseph is told about Mary in Matthew chapter 1 that she will give birth to a son and you're to call his name Jesus because he's going to save his people from their sins. Two verses later, he says, and, and the virgin will give birth and they will call his name Emmanuel, which means, somebody tell me, God with us. You see, this whole, this whole picture of Christmas is the picture of God's love coming to us. Because we would never be able to bridge that gap ourselves. It's God coming to us. So when he came, he, he then makes it possible, when he comes to us, for us to come then to the Father. Here's how First Timothy puts it. Paul wrote it this way. He said that there is one, one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all people. One God but one mediator. Let's talk about that word a minute. Mediator, go-between. I think very appropriately we could say bridge. There is one bridge between us and God. And he makes it very clear that there is only one. And that one bridge, that one mediator, that one go-between is Christ Jesus. See, that, that's critical. There's not many avenues to God. There's not many roads all leading to God, and they just go by different names. There is one path, one bridge, and that's Christ Jesus. In fact, Jesus said himself, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He is the only mediator. It's the only chance that we have, but he becomes that mediator. How? How is that possible? Because he gave his life as a ransom, the verse says. He paid for us. He purchased your salvation when he died on the cross. His blood purchased that relationship. He paid a ransom for you, but notice the last phrase, a ransom for all people. That's a universal state. We all need it. Everyone in this room needs that, but it's the extent is his love is able to save us all. That is a ransom that is sufficient to save all of us. Jesus becomes the master bridge builder. By, putting a medi uh, by mediating a, a way for us, by him coming to us, that we can then come to the Father. Now, Paul shows us that in all of this, when God spans that, that gap to allow us to come to God, that that also then levels the playing field for all of those who know Christ. Here's what Galatians chapter 3 says. Galatians says, so in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. If you are... If you have received Jesus by faith, you are in him, then we're all, all of us that have received that are his children. Verse 28 says, there is neither Jew nor Gentile. There's our, there's our words we're looking at. There's neither slave nor free. There is not male or female, for you are all one in Christ. Here's what we know. Sin is a, is a major equalizer of all people. We all have sinned. There is none of us that have a standing with God because of our righteousness. We all have sinned. That, that equalizes the human race, 
But the greatest equalizer of all is that Jesus died for all of us to forgive us of all of those sins. There is a way that through Jesus we can have our sins forgiven, and then that puts us all in the same family and with the same forgiveness, with the same relationship, regardless of, as he said, where you come from, who you are, what you look like. We're all part of this family of God together. So when he says he is Savior, he is Emmanuel, that is God with us, coming to us so we can come to the Father, puts us all on the same level ground. But in order to understand this, let me, let me just use another phrase. Here's what we understand now, that Christ's love puts us all in the same category. What does it mean when it says that you are all one in Christ? Here's what I understand. Christ's love also removes the barriers between his people. You see, Christ's love takes away that, that barrier between us and God. He actually builds a bridge, so we, he mediates a way that we can come to the Father. But also, now that we're all one, we're all that, that have received Christ or in the same family, he breaks down the barriers between us. There, there is supposed to be a, a love that is universal between us that follow Christ because he has taken down the, those barriers. Here's what we know. When Jesus came, his birth, remember, sets that precedent We have a a smattering of all the human race represented in those coming to his birth. But that continued on through Jesus' life and his ministry. And then even when Jesus left, some of the last things he said were things like this. Go into all the world and preach. Uh, Go and make disciples of all nations. You will be witnesses to me to the ends of the earth. What is he saying? This, This message, this salvation isn't just for a certain group of people or just the ones I have here. or what? It's for all. It's for everyone. And that's how that church began. The, the early group of people, as, as they began to do what God had called them to do, the diversity became very much a part of who they were. It, it crossed all the lines, social, political. Uh, it it cro- crossed the, re- the racial and the, and the generational. All of this, it, it, crossed, it, it became this smattering of all that were included. That's how God designed it to be. But not everyone was necessarily happy with that choice. There were many who were fighting this process of God now unifying all of us in Christ together. So Paul addresses that. And listen to what he says in Ephesians chapter 2, 14. Paul says, For Christ himself has brought peace to us. Look what he says. He united Jews and Gentiles into one people when, in his own body on the cross, he broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. Remember, he made a way for us to come to God, and now, for those of us who knew Christ, the walls that we have put up, those, those walls, he says, Jesus broke those down. Now in Christ, we all, we, we all are part of that, that same family. The, the way that the sinful, uh, sinful man has put up barriers, Jesus' blood, Jesus' body takes and, and breaks down all of those walls, the separation between us. Now, the ones who were writing that we know Paul was writing to, they were separated. It was part of their culture. It was part of their history. It was part of their religious tradition. It showed itself in anger and prejudice and hatred. I mean, look at the word, walls of hostility. That's the way it was described, and Jesus said, but I, I broke all those down. When you came to one in Christ, you, you all became part of this together, and, and we've already used the word, but in that, he not only broke down the walls, he created something new, he, he, a new entity that he referred to as his church. All of those who are part of this family in Christ are part of his church. In fact, another word that he uses for the church is he calls the church his 
body. 1 Corinthians chapter number 12, Paul writes, For we are all baptized by one spirit, so as to form one body. Whether, and look, here's our words again, Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, doesn't matter. We're all part of one body. And then verse 27, now you are the body of Christ and each one of you is a part of it. He, he tells us, the, or in Christ, this picture, that, he uses a picture that we can understand. That's the body, because all of us have one. We're, we're sitting here, we can look at it, and, and whether you like your particular body or not, you have to admit it's, it's a work of a miracle that your body does what it can do. I mean, you just think of the systems that are working and, and the things that are just for me to sit here and move my arms. I have, I have nerves that are, that are telling my, my body what to do, and I have actions. And, um, I just saw a, a thing this week on the eye and how just, just that little part of our body, how Im- immense the, the miracle that we can see and the colors and the depth and all, and that's all our body, and yet all of those pieces are different. The eye's different from the foot, and the foot's different from the hand. It's all different, but God causes it all to work together. That's beauty of the body. So we see that. He says, now, church, that's what you are. If you're in Christ, you're, a follower, you're part of a body. Now, I don't know if you're an eye or a big toe. I'm not sure what your part is, but you're a part of the body. You're, God has given you this, this part, knowing who you are, Loving the fact that you're a part of that body and appreciating that and appreciating the, the fact that you have a job to do that is a part of the body, that there, there is a function. I mean, think about this. You know, I, a few years ago, I, I had a surgery. They did a, a nerve block, right? Some of you have experienced that. And, and for that period of a few hours, I appreciated that nerve block because I didn't realize that when that nerve block wore off, there was going to be some pain behind there, right? But for that period of time, the nerves were not communicating with the rest of the body. Now, that was great for a period of time, but you don't want that. You don't want your nerves not telling messages to your brain. You don't want your foot not telling you're moving in a different, you, you want it all to go the same direction, right? So think about this. Church, the body, of, if you're in Christ, God has made you to be a part of something, and it's appreciated, but... Here's something else that verse tells us is in that the body is also supposed to love the other parts of the body, to hold them in esteem. Here's what we're learning about Christ. Christ's love crosses borders. I mean, it crossed from heaven to this earth to bring us salvation. It breaks down barriers and walls between us and God, and also it breaks down the walls that maybe we've established in some form or fashion between one another. It's a love that is, is powerful, and it does some amazing things. But let's, let's keep reading. If you're in 1 John chapter 4, verse number 11, Paul, or John writes this, Dear friends, since God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. He said, since God has loved us, now that should produce something. We should be, that love should be changing us. Verse 12, no one has ever seen God But if we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. It's not saying that that God didn't finish something that he started when he talks about complete. What he's saying is God God has not made himself visible to people with their eyes, but he has made himself visible through the body of Jesus, which is us. And so it's about us being, uh, that God being seen through us, his 
people that he has shown this great love to. That's where his completeness comes from. And so when it says God showed his love, we, we appreciate that. So what God did when he sent his son. But now there's something about that love being shown to us that should make a difference in the way we live with those with the other people. Since God so loved us, what does he say we should do? We also should love one another. You have received this love. So it's not like I, I give you a, a, something, a gift of love, and you set it to the side. It's this love now is a part of you. You have received his love. Now this love is not meant to just set in you. It's meant to be shared with others. You have received God's love. Now you are to love others. Let's back up to verse number 7 of this because it kind of ties what we've been talking about. Verse 7 is where this all started. Dear friends, let us love one another. For love comes from God. He goes on to say, For everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God, and whoever does not love does not know God because. Because why? Tell me. God is love. Remember I said this was a hub. We looked at it before. God is love, and he showed us his love. Well, before he says that, he said God is love, and that love should be shown from us to others. Why? Because God is love. He showed it to us, and now if we've received it, it should be changing our lives. It should be, it should be helping us to love others the way he has called us. To, I'm so glad that God has saved me and he's shown me his love. So glad that I stand here as a, as a, a sinner who's been saved. I received forgiveness. I have eternal life through Jesus Christ. A gift that I received that you can have the same. I'm so glad that he showed me his love. But I also remember now that since I've received his love, I have this this resource, I am supposed to now share it by loving others with the love that he gave me. So here's what I know about this. Christ's love defines and motivates who we are as his people. It, it, it defines and motivates us as God's children. If you were to read this, it's pretty clear. He said, everyone who loves has been born of God. Okay, that makes sense. But then he does say the opposite. And if you do not love, that means you do not know God. Christians, please, we say we're followers of God, and yet we, if we choose not to love others, or we choose in our selection of who we love, or maybe not, there's some we're just not going to, there's, there's a problem there. For us to say that we know God and that we love him, that means we have a, a source of love that's unending so for us then to say that, well, I'm, I, I'm only going to give this love to others, there's a problem there. He said, if you, if you don't love, then do you really know God? Can you really say that you're one of his if you're not showing that kind of love? We're, we're recipients and givers of God's love. Let me give you an example that Jesus gave us. Um, John chapter 13. It's a great passage. It's a dramatic evening. The last evening before Jesus is betrayed, he's in this upper room. A lot of things are happening in this room and uh, it, with his disciples, this last supper, all of these things are happening. But at, towards the end of this conversation they have in this room, verse 34, Jesus says this, fellas, I want to give you a new command. And here's the command. Um, love one another. In fact, he goes on to say, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. He says, I got this new word for you guys, love one another. Now, he then goes on to say, and this will, as we've said, define who you are. Next verse, verse 35, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. 
If you truly are my followers, you're going to love each other and people will take notice. They'll see that. question you may have heard is, how will people know we're Christians? And the answer is that, according to Jesus, they'll know we are Christians by our love. That defining characteristic, that love that Jesus had in loving others and in their differences, is that love will then become a definition of who we are and how God wants us to react to others around us. What I find interesting, history tells us that in that early church, the early stages, you you would have seen that. It was literally true. A couple of historians, second century, a guy by the name of Tertullian wrote this, and he was talking about a, a, a perception that people outside of the church that didn't yet believe in Christ, here's what they said about the people in the church. He said, Behold how these Christians love one another, how they are ready to die for each other. That's what his perception was watching the Christians. A guy by the name Aristides, same time, said this, They, the Christians, they love one another. They do not overlook the widow. They, they save the orphan. He who has ministers without grudge to those who have not. When they see strangers, they take them under their own roof and rejoice over them as a true brother. And here's how he sums it up. For they do not call themselves brothers according to the flesh, but according to the soul. Their love goes deep, and you can see it. That's those Christians, because they love each other. Church, do you realize that hasn't supposed to have been changed in 2,000 years? the world should still be able to look at how we act towards others and say, those Christians really love each other. Those Christians really love people. That's our our design. That's our definition. That's how Jesus said the world would know us. It should define us. But it not only defines us, I want to share this with you. Christ's love also empowers us to love the way Christ loves Remember we said Jesus builds bridges, he breaks down barriers. Do you know what, Christians? You can do the same thing. It's not because you, it's your personality even, or it's not because you have this great ability. It's because of that gift of love you received. That empowers you. That gives you the capability. It gives you the ability to love others. Remember what Jesus said, love one another as I have loved you. Now that does a couple of things. It sets the standard. That's how much we're to love, the way Jesus loved you. That's a big standard But it also says, now I have, as I have loved you, now take what I have given to you and share it. It's it's something in your life that you can give to others. Go back to our our book of 1 John, chapter 4, verse 16. John says, and so we know and rely on the love that God has for us. We we know it, and now we're relying on it. Why do we need to rely on it? Look what he says next. uh, God is love. There's our phrase again. We're relying on this love because God is love. And then he says in the next phrase, whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. And then he ends his verse 19 with this. We love because he first loved us. That love that Christ gives to you, what a great gift, what a great opportunity. But you realize that also now is a resource. You love and you have the ability to love. You're called to love because you have been loved. You have received love, so now you can give love. That's what Jesus is saying and what he has done for us. The idea is this concept of loving one another it kind of rolls off our tongue if you've been in church at all. If you guys have been in church before, there's no way you haven't heard this, these phrases I'm saying. Love your neighbor. Love one another. We know it. We hear it. We'll even say, yes, I believe it. That, that's, it rolls off, but let's be honest, it's a lot harder to do. 
there's a lot of things fighting against us. I would dare say even the world, the culture that we live in has always been, from Jesus' time and before that, there's always been this this pull to divide us, to not love each other. To, there's always, we always find a reason why we shouldn't love each other. There's, there's just, people are not likable. They're not lovable and whatever. There's things just like the, the, the Jews at that time, whether it's history, tradition, uh, uh, prejudice we're born with, prejudice we grow up uh, learning. It, it takes us and it, it just divides us. It puts us in, in, in ways that, that us versus them is huge. It's, uh, you know, the haves and the have-nots, those are big deals. They always have been, and it's hard for us moving past that to love the way God has called us to love. But let me just, let's think about that for a second. When Jesus said, love one another as I have loved you, that was radical. In fact, Matthew chapter number 5, Jesus gave an example of what his love looks like. Because in Matthew chapter 5, verse 43, he begins with this word. He said, uh, you have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Sounds good. I'm going to love those who I like and love and not going to spend time with those who, who, but look what Jesus said. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Love the people that you're not even fond of. In fact, the ones that have hurt you, still love them. Now that's the kind of love Jesus said. Now love has I have loved you. That's what he's teaching us. This is a, a different standard of of love, what we see, what started in that in that manger, and the, and the way that it just came across all the the, board, the boundaries with the different people involved, it is now go on where you see Jesus in his life and ministry was constantly in the in the idea of, of bridging chasms and and bringing separations back to nothing. Think think about some of these ideas with me. One another one of the cultural people that would have been disdained was what was called the tax collectors. They were Jews who were collecting money for the Romans. They were working for the and they, they hated them. They, they despised them. And yet, and Jesus in his ministry on occasion would hang out with them, minister to them. And in fact, Jesus had one of them named Matthew become one of his 12 apostles. Jesus bridged the gap that others didn't see was necessary. There was a time, and there's so many examples, but think about that Jesus meets a, a Samaritan woman at a well in, at noonday. And just that phrase, if you, if you were back in that time, I just, I just quoted probably five different taboos that you just didn't get past, and yet that's what Jesus did. In fact, just going up a couple of verses from what we read in Matthew chapter 5 about loving your enemy, a couple of verses before, he said, and if, if a Roman soldier were to come along and he were to demand that you carry his pack for a mile, which they could, that was law. In fact, if he says, you carry my pack, you carried it, or you face a consequence. He said, but if, someone, if a soldier says, you carry my pack for a mile, here's what I tell you to do. Take it two miles. This is radical kind of loving in, across borders, across uh, boundaries that have been set up, and, and it had to make an impression. Perhaps one of the greatest examples Jesus gave, he gave a parable. We know it in Luke chapter 10 as the parable of the Good Samaritan. You probably heard that, right? I mean, we have healthcare systems called Good Samaritan. We have hospitals called Good Samaritan because that's a phrase that's very positive to us looking back. I mean, that's a, a great example. But, but let me point out something, just that word Samaritan that doesn't mean a whole lot to us, but that was very similar to the word Gentile. It, was, it would have elicited some of the same emotions of anger and, and I don't like and a, pff, that kind of a picture when you thought of a Samaritan. So in case, you're, in case you've forgotten the story, let me just 
just kind of summarize. There was a man traveling. We assume he was a Jewish man traveling. And as he's on the road, he, is, he was ambushed. He's robbed. He's beaten. They take everything he have, and then they leave him for dead. In that condition, two Jewish religious leaders happen to come by. And both of them see him, but rather than do anything, they just walk on past. In fact, one verse almost gives the impression that they had to step over him to keep moving, but they just kept going without helping him at all. And then comes the Samaritan. The Samaritan is in the story would be the one that should have, if anybody was going to walk past, it would have been him. But rather than that, he stops. He does emergency first aid right there. Then he takes him to a, to a place where they're going to take care of him. He pays the bill and says, and I'll give more if it's needed later. What a great story. We love that concept. And, and it does tell us a lot about we should care for others and our neighbor is anyone who is in need. And, and so we need to care for those when we see a need meet it. I get that. But hopefully you see there was a deeper message here. And that message is there are some people that you've got to love even if you don't like them, even if you're not too fond of them, even if that's going to cross some comfort border for you, we still are to love one another, to love others. Because at the last verse in that story, verse 37, Jesus said, go and do likewise. Here's the kind of love Jesus had. He loved across the borders, whoever they were, and all the people. And then he says, and I want you to show that same kind of love. Love in our, in our differences. What, what an incredible picture. But let's make sure we don't miss something here. When Jesus said, love one another, that was a new command he gave. But the command, if you think about it, wasn't really that new. He'd already said in the Old Testament about loving your neighbor, and love was kind of common. So why is this so new, Jesus? Think with me. When Jesus said that, he was in an in a upper room with his disciples. It was a closed group. And these disciples were then going to become the church, his body to the world. So there's something he says specifically to this group of gathered followers of his. Basically, he's saying not only, yes, love, love each other, love the people that are, that are out there, yes, but I want to make sure you get it. You within the body, you within the church, you, disciples love disciples. Parts of the body, loving other parts of the body is what he's saying, that this new entity, the church, yes, love your neighbor, that's critical, but don't miss the fact that sometimes we we may have a struggle with someone out there that's hard to love, but it's very often that some people within the very body of Christ become kind of hard to love. Sometimes even perhaps more difficult because we're family. And that can hurt worse. So what he's saying is, you got to love not just those, but love other believers. And he makes that very clear that that's part of what the body of Christ is. This beautiful body we've described, right? Think about it. All the different pieces, and all of us are different. And he takes all these different pieces, and he puts it together in his church, his body. It's a mosaic of diversity as he puts us all together in, in this body he calls Christ and in within our differences. But please make sure you don't miss the big, by seeing the big picture, you miss the practical side. Yes, it's the churches, all those who know Christ. I get that. But there is also a focus that God gives, the New Testament gives, that the church that he often speaks of is a local congregation. For the world to see God, they're going to have to see hands and feet, and that becomes the people that are gathered. Let me just be honest. Practically, he's talking about Calvary Baptist Church, that we love one another as, as fellow disciples, as part of his family, that this church gathered loves each other. And as, as hard as it is and as the barriers come up in different ways, 
whether it's, it's here, outside our church, or within our building, we've got to see God is taking down barriers. Are we doing the same, loving in our, our differences? Think about how different and how some of those things just bug you. Let's be honest. There are some of you in this room probably watching on TV that are a little upset with me because I didn't fill in one of the blanks on the outline. You know what I'm saying? Some of you are bothered. I can tell. You're going, is he going to come back to it? I'm not. I just changed my mind, okay? So now get over it. Don't be mad at me. We're different. That happens. I, I don't know about you. I'm, I'm sure maybe some of you this isn't true, but my wife and I, we have a few differences. Here and there. Right. I know that's hard to believe, but we do. One of the things my wife is convinced that at this time of year, you should watch every Hallmark Christmas movie. Every one of them, and some of them twice. That's just her opinion, okay? My opinion's a little different. I say, let's not watch any of the Hallmark Christmas movies. Can I get a witness, right? Okay, that's my side, all right? So for the sake of the love of our family, we have compromised, and I sleep through about half of them now, okay? So we, we've kind of done that work. We, we've kind of made that work together. Here's, here's something the Lord is at work, because she's, she actually, we were watching, she actually turned one of them off this year because she said it was too cheesy. <laughs> Hallelujah, the Spirit is working. <laughs> I don't know what that spectrum is of too cheesy. I'm still trying to figure because they're all, in my opinion, all of them are cheese. You understand what I'm saying? But before I get too much trouble, I know that's a silly example. I get that. But you understand within church, within the family, sometimes it's those kind of things that divide us. It's just a stray cat. It's things that, that are meant that as the body, we're meant to work together. We're, are we going to stay different? Absolutely. Are you always going to agree with one another? No. But God has put us together. We can love one another, and we can do what God has called us. He has given us, not only defines us that way, but he says, I've given you the power. You've got it within you, church. That love is there if you'll, if you'll allow me to use it to, to love those around you. Those little differences can make a big impact if we don't allow his love to work through us. Here's what I know. There's churches like Calvary, that have gone to war over things like music or gone to war over things like buildings or programs. Let's just get a little more current. There are churches right now that are at war over Republicans versus Democrats. There are people that are at war over masks or no masks. And I guarantee at some point it'll be vaccine or no vaccine. You know what I'm talking about. It divides us. It comes in to our culture, and it finds its way in the church. We've got to understand we're not going to agree on some of these issues, but one of the devil's favorite tools, I'm convinced, is if he can divide us, if he can get us to not let that love that he has given us, that Christ has given us, shine into our lives, to love one another and in our differences, and to continue to love and do what God has called us to do. Here's what Paul said in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 3. He said about the church, his friends in Ephesus, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Now, if he says make every effort, that implies that it's going to be hard work. It's going to take effort for us to love because we are different. Personality, opinions, all of those things are different. But if the world's going to see God, he said they see us. They don't have a visible side of him. They see him as they see his body in action, and they'll, they'll know we're Christians by our love. It's gonna, we've got to work at it. But he says, why is that so important? It says there is one body and one spirit. 
This next, the next verses, he explains so much about unity and how the body works. It's a beautiful chapter. But I, I want to jump from the beginning to the end of this chapter because the last verse, I think, kind of says, says it all, kind of puts it in perspective. In verse 32 of chapter 4 of Ephesians, Paul said to the church, be kind and compassionate to one another. And notice the next phrase, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. If our church is going to continue to thrive to be what God wants us to do, we've got to let that love come to the point where we find kindness and compassion in our differences, in our disagreements. We can disagree. We don't have to disagree disagreeably. You know, we don't have to be ugly. We can, we can still work together and love. That's kind and compassion. But notice that next phrase, and forgive. I promise you, within this body, we're going to have to forgive each other. I'm going to do things that hurt you. I'm going to need your forgiveness. You're going to do things that hurt me. You're going to need my forgiveness. We're good to do this. And did you notice the way he said it? Forgive as I forgave you. Just like love as I loved you. We're to forgive to the way that Jesus forgave us. That's huge, folks. Jesus didn't forgive with a handful of, well, maybe if you change it. He forgave. And we're going to have to do the same if we're going to be what God has called it. That love is going to shine through us. It's about crossing borders. Let me just... Think about that for a minute. What does crossing borders look like maybe in your life today as a follower of Christ? Maybe it's crossing the street and loving a neighbor that's kind of unlo- you. You've got those porcupine neighbors. We've all got them. You know, those are just, just hard to rub up against. But love them. Love people that we meet in society and culture that are hard to love and they're not like us and they're different and our, our traditions, our prejudice, want to, and we love them. That's... That maybe it's crossing the street. Truth is, it might also be crossing the living room to a spouse or a child or someone within our families that we're having trouble loving, that, that are just hard to love. But can I also suggest, Christians, it might be crossing the aisle in church? Is there someone perhaps that you've held on to something for years? You just, you know, it's fine. We don't fight, but we just don't talk. We just, we, we, we set, we don't do anything. Do you realize we're all part of this body and loving each other is a part of what God has called us to do? Would that be what crossing the borders means to you? Let, let me give you a, a final prayer. Paul prayed this to that same church at Ephesus that we looked at earlier. And I think it says so much when you when we begin to understand what this love means to us. Because I'm so grateful that God loved me and sent his son to die for me. yes. But I realize now I have that love in me. It should shine. It should show. So look how Paul put it. The prayer in Ephesians chapter 3, verse number 17, Paul writes, And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power, there's our word, together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. That's my prayer for you today, that you, you begin to be able to wrap your mind about how much God loves you. You'll never get it all. It's too deep. But just to begin to think how much God loves me and he sent his son for me and then understand that that love now is a part of my life because look at the next verse. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of the fullness of God. That God's love would fill you in such a way, you grasp it and it fills you in such a way that it becomes a part of who you are. And you as a Christian, we as a church, the world knows us because of our love. So when you hear the 
angel's words again this week, which you'll hear at some point. It's, it's the week before Christmas. Luke chapter 2, and the angel said, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. Because today is born to you in the city of David a Savior. He is Messiah, the Lord. And you're going to find the babe wrapped in cloths, lying in a manger. When you hear that, remember, that is love. That's the gift of love. The gift of love is Christ. As he gave him, he sent by the Father to us, to love us, to save us. That's the gift of love. And that gift, that love, that's the heart of Christmas. That's what it's all about, is that God sent his gift of love to us that we can receive, and as we do, then we can be givers of that love to others. It's available. My question comes down to this. Have you received God's gift of love? Whether you're in this room or watching online, has there been a point when you received God's gift? You recognize that I am a sinner, and I know that I needed this gift that Jesus came and he not only is a baby, but he grew to die on a cross and rise from the grave for my sins. And I have received that gift. And I know that his love has changed and is changing my life. Have you, do you know that? If not, would you receive that today? Would you call to him and receive his gift of salvation? And then let me speak to those of you who have received that gift. That gift of love has been a part of your life for a year, 10 years, 30 years, 50 years, but you know that that love is a part of your life. Are you allowing that love to show to others? And I don't just mean the ones that are easy to love. I mean the ones that are hard to love. The ones that your mind has some already ideas of why I shouldn't or can't or don't want to love them. Where does it look like for you to cross borders? Crossing a street, crossing a living room, crossing the aisle. Would you bow your heads with me, please? With our heads bowed and eyes closed. Let's think about that, that love that we've, we've spoken of all morning. A love that sent a son for our salvation. A love that now, if we've received that, has filled our lives, and he tells us to use that to love others. What does that all mean to you? Let me pray for you this morning, and I invite you to pray with me. Let me pray, first of all, for those listening or here with me that have not yet received his gift. Father, I pray that you speak to their hearts this morning. Let them know the truth of your love, the fact that your love sent Jesus to this world to live and to die for us. Please help them to know that's what they need. And if that's you this morning, right in this moment, would you just call out to God, God, forgive me of my sin. I believe Jesus died and rose again for me. Save me. Would you call out to him today? But let me continue to pray for those of you who know Christ. Father, I pray that your love would fill them, that they would realize the gift that they have and the, the way now that that love can shine to others. And that makes a difference in the world around us. So, Lord, let them live in that love. Lord, give us the courage to cross some borders this week. Pick up a phone and call someone or take someone to coffee and let's, let's build some bridges, God. Show us as your people how to do that with the world around us, to do that with our family and do that with the family of God within the church you've called us to. Help us to truly love as you've called us to love.